We turn now in Holy Scripture to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 13. But we're going to begin with the last verse of chapter 12. Hear now this Word of God. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. The Word of God that we consider is the three first three verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this passage from the Word of God, this chapter in the Word of God, teaches that love for each other as members of the church is the only way of life for the member of the church and the true church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the way of life. This reality is nevertheless severely minimized and even opposed. Opposed and minimized in the church. Opposed and minimized by us. That's done when, for example, we imagine that what we know, and in particular, even knowing doctrine, is more important than the way we live. Or perhaps we imagine that since, for example, we receive all of our salvation by faith and faith alone, that therefore faith is more important than the way we live. And perhaps what we know, doctrine, and how we know it by faith, 
is so much more important that it makes the way we live even optional. Or perhaps entirely unimportant. Irrelevant, really. So that when the preaching addresses the way we live and calls us to live a certain way, we may react by saying, well, that's just the law. Or that's unimportant. That's not the Gospel. There's nothing here. Perhaps we should even be suspicious of such a Word of God. In other words, not only is the truth that the Apostle teaches in this chapter of the Word of God minimized, but it's even opposed. Opposed, perhaps, because we are all aware, I think, that in many churches, even false churches, churches that are apostatizing, this is the only word they seem to know. This Word of God has been hijacked. It has been misused. In such churches, they only know God as a God of love. And because they distort the reality of God as they apply it to one another, such as the love of the church that it tolerates and excuses and even promotes the most vile sins that even the world finds shameful. Or perhaps this truth, this truth that the way of life is the only way of a child of God and of a true church, because one considers that not to be the truth. Or a danger and threat to the church perhaps even invokes the caricature that it's conditional theology, that such makes salvation dependent upon our life of love. The Apostle Paul writes these words because he was dealing with a similar problem and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, and being a faithful minister, he addresses that problem. You see, the church at Corinth had a very exaggerated view of what was important. They thought spiritual gifts, and amazingly spiritual gifts, far more important than how they lived with their neighbor, how they dealt with their neighbor. In other words, they considered these spiritual gifts much more important than living in the way of love. Now the Apostle addresses that in a number of places, but especially in the previous chapter, chapter 12, and he acknowledges those gifts. He speaks about how wonderful and important these gifts are and how God has given them, attributes them to the Holy Spirit, even says, covet them in the final verse. But covet earnestly the best gifts. Desire them. But then he qualifies that. He says, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. You see, covet those gifts, but understand, church at Corinth, those are still not the best thing. The thing that you ought to covet above all else. There's a more excellent way. A better way. And that's the way of love. And that's what he teaches in chapter 13 breaking it down into a number of parts. The idea is that the Apostle is teaching that this is the only way. This is the only way of life for the church and the members of the church. And he does that by teaching, first of all, as we're going to see tonight, the value of this way of love. The behavior of it. What does it look like? How does it behave? Then he talks about the permanence of it. And finally, he's going to talk about the greatness of it, comparing it even to faith and hope, and says the greatest is love. The Apostle introduces this passage by speaking of it as the way of love. And what he means is this is the main characteristic of the Christian life. It is important 
and significant that the apostle uses that word way in the very same way, and he means the same thing as our Protestant Reform Synod meant when it declared in 2018 that we have fellowship with God only in the way of obedience. And when Synod made that declaration, it meant the very same thing as the Apostle. If someone wanted scriptural proof, one could have simply cited this passage as the sole proof for that statement by Synod. And Synod said that that word way there refers not to means. It's not talking about the direction toward fellowship, but what it's talking about is the manner or mode of living. The manner in which we live. The mode in which we live. That is, how we live. And Synod was saying, even though it talked about the way of obedience, you could substitute the word love. Because obedience, of course, is obedience to the law of God. And the law of God, in one word, is love. Synod said, in effect, the way of fellowship is the way of love. And Synod meant it's the only way. I mention that because, importantly, that word of Synod was rejected as against the Word of God. Well, initially it was received But then there were a number who have rejected it, called it heresy, called it conditional theology, and divided, and then left the church. They said that word made works or love a condition to fellowship. But the fact is, the way of fellowship is the way of love. Consider with me this evening and in subsequent sermons, the more excellent way of love. The more excellent way of love, even most excellent. That's what I have in the title, the most excellent. He uses the word more, but we're going to show it's the most excellent. And we consider this evening its superior value. And we're first of all going to identify that. So it's identified, then demonstrated, and finally desired. When this passage, beloved people of God, speaks of charity, the Apostle is referring to love. That's the word. That's how we should view it. That's how we should read it. Love. That's the more excellent way. Although the word we read in our King James Version is charity, and itself has a wonderful meaning, that's not actually the meaning of the original word. We may thank, in part, John Wycliffe for what we have in our Bible, for that's its origins. John Wycliffe is responsible for giving us the first English translation of the Scriptures, which did sometime in the 1300s. John Wycliffe, however, was not proficient in Greek and Hebrew, and so he went to the Latin Bible to begin his translation. And the Latin Bible in this passage translates love as charitas. So he kept that. Later English translations corrected that and used the word love, but for some reason our King James Version did not do that. And we should understand that that word charity does not really capture the meaning of the Apostle or the Word of God here. Not in all of its fullness. Love is a far richer word. And I can demonstrate that simply if you look at verse 3. Charity refers to bestowing goods upon the four, about giving to the needy. That's what charity refers to. We use it with giving benevolence. Well, in verse 3, the apostle talks about the possibility that one bestow all his goods to the poor. That is, one who is exceedingly charitable. And yet, says that they can do that without love. That is, charity and love are not really the same thing. And this passage talks about love. We should also understand with regard to what the Apostle is talking about and the Spirit is teaching us 
that it's not referring simply to an emotion or feelings in our heart. Now, certainly love concerns the heart. Love concerns the will, the heart. It is something we feel. It is something that we are committed to. It is something that we desire. But what the Apostle isn't talking about isn't limited to that. It is not even merely that. But it's talking about the activity of love. How love expresses itself. How love behaves. And particularly now, how love behaves toward the members of the church. That's the proper object of love here when the Apostle teaches us this more excellent way of love. That's important because often that is rejected or minimized, especially when someone is not living in love toward their neighbor. They're guilty of mistreating their neighbor. They harbor much hatred for their neighbor in the church. And then if you call them to account, they will justify their actions by saying, well, a passage like this isn't really referring to that neighbor. It's not really referring to that person. In fact, they're really talking about love for God. Well, that's not true. That's not true. They simply look at the context. And one can see that this passage is talking about how we live with our neighbor and our neighbor in the church. Not toward God as such. The problem in Corinth was exactly that. They had love. They had lack of love one for another. And it was manifest especially by schism. This book is about schism and division and factions. And they were all caused by the same thing. Lack of love one for another. And so they had divisions over their spiritual leaders. They had divisions in the courts of law. They were filing lawsuits one against the other, even defrauding one another in the courts of law. There were divisions in the way that they celebrated the Lord's Supper. There were divisions over the use of spiritual gifts. And against all that, the Apostle says, you need to know about and live in love one toward another. That this is the case is even plain from the activity that's described in verses 4 through 7 that we read. Take those verses and actually try to apply them to God and you'll find it, it doesn't work. Love suffers long toward God. Why would you have to suffer long toward God? No. It's talking there about suffering long towards your neighbor in the search who's, who sinned against you, who misused you, and you You have to suffer long with that. And charity does that. Charity envies not. Envies not God. That don't make any sense. But no, charity doesn't envy other members in the church who have what seems to be greater gifts and greater abilities. Charity is not easily provoked. Provoked what? Provoked by God? No. Oh, it's talking about the neighbor again, the member in the church, not easily provoked by what they say and what they do. Now, it doesn't exclude the love of God. In fact, what we must come to see is that underlying all this is the love of God. The apostle could have very well given a chapter simply on loving God and the love of God for us because it's what underlies all this. So we should understand that. In fact, the idea is really here, if you want to fully understand what the Spirit is saying, is that this more excellent way of love, this way of love we are called to live, is simply to live in the love of God toward one another. We love them for God's sake. If we simply have a natural love one for another as human beings, or love for one another because they're blood kin, or we, we have a certain common life and we have a a common neighborhood together, then we're not loving each other as the text requires, as the Spirit is bringing to our attention. The love that's required here is that we love one another as members of the church, as those whom God has chosen, whom God has redeemed, who God has saved, and whom God brings His Word, as His own dear children, as His family, as His sons and daughters. We must love them because God says, if you love me, 
then you must love your neighbor whom I love. That's the idea of the passage. That's why even in verse 3 again, when talking about having lack of love, talking about the value of love, it brings up the issue of martyrdom. Though I give my body, though I give my body to be burned, the idea is, though I give my body to be burned for God's sake, in love for God, but I would not have love, in other words, no real love for God, then I'm a nothing. It doesn't mean anything. What this passage teaches is that the love that is spoken of here is not an earthly, natural, physical love. It's not really love for God, but it's the unique spiritual grace and virtue and power that is worked into the heart of every child of God by the Holy Spirit. It is the possession of every child of God. When the Spirit enters their heart, then the idea is the very love of God for us in Jesus Christ enters into our heart, and out of that love we live. Now if you want to break it down further, and here we bring in Scripture, Here we bring in partially the passage here, but also the rest of Scripture. In general, love is a deep desire for others as precious and as dear as somebody that we consider precious to us and dear to us. Now that includes some things. As I said, it's not a mere feeling that holds someone as precious and dear and in that sense loves them. But it includes, first of all, a determination to do good unto them and not evil. To seek their good and not their harm. And to desire even that good over our own good. To seek their good at our own expense. So this love includes that and then also that we do good unto them to our own hurt. We do good by giving of ourselves for their benefit. We do good unto them by giving of what we have been given rather than now taking from them for our own benefit. So love includes those two things. But but also, love is a deep desire, a deep desire to be with them, to fellowship with them, to live in their company, to be around them and to have them around us, and is disturbed is disturbed when separated from them. When one cannot be with them and enjoy their company. That's what love is. Love love is a deep, deep commitment and determination to do good and not evil to someone. And to do good even to one's own expense. Even giving of oneself and one's possessions for the good of the other. And in that, to desire and enjoy their company and their fellowship. That's really what love is. But you understand, and I understand, that if that's all we say, then our love is really no different than the love that the world has for one another. Scriptures recognize, we recognize that there is what we call a certain natural love, an attraction and desire to someone else. To even do good unto them. To give of our own possessions for them. To give gifts unto them to seek their fellowship, even the most intimate fellowship, as occurs in marriage. This goes on in the world. And yet, the idea of the passage is that's all really a worthless and valueless love if it's without the love of God. If it's without the spiritual gifts and knowledge and faith that we have through God in Jesus Christ. There's only one real true love. That's the love of this passage. God's own love worked out through Jesus Christ in our hearts. A love of God for us as expressed in Jesus Christ and brought to us by the gift of His Spirit and now reflected in all our earthly relationships. That's the uniqueness of this love that's talked about here. It's chiefly that we love one another For Christ's sake. That's the unique character of this. If we ever find ourselves loving one another simply because, well, 
we're all fellow human beings, and we are all called to love our neighbors no matter what, then we don't understand. If we find that we love our wife merely because she's beautiful, and she's a joy to be around, and we find we have common enjoyments and common desires, if we love our children only because they came from our own loins and, and, and there's a certain amount of pleasure and joy involved with them, then, then we're not, we don't have this love. That's our problem. One of the reasons we need to hear this text is oftentimes we confuse what we ought to have one toward another in the church with just plain old earthly natural physical love which is no different than the love that's found out in the world and which sometimes, to our own shame, the world even excels at. No, this is where I love you and you love me. This is a love whereby you love your wife and your children love you. And where we love one another in the congregation for one reason only, and that is for Christ's sake. Christ's sake. It's a deep desire that I have for you and you have for me as members of Jesus Christ that He has bought with His blood. I love you and you love me because Jesus died for you. Because Jesus shed His blood for you. It's a firm determination to do good and only good unto you. And never to harm you because you belong to God. You are God's child. Not mine. And it's a willingness to give everything. Even one's own life for the benefit of someone else in the church because everything I have and everything I am is given to me. What I give to you, even if I should give my life, is something God has bought, that God owns. That's not mine. It's only mine even to give. God gives it exactly so that I may give of it to you. It's a deep yearning for fellowship, to be with and enjoy the company of one's fellow member because, well, you see in them the Spirit of God. You enjoy the fellowship with God such that you can see and you can find the fellowship of God of them, and that's the basis of your fellowship. And nothing else. Nothing else. In other words, it's a love that's not simply, well, we're going to get together and we're going to enjoy one another's company because there's something fun to do. Because we like to ride on a boat together. We like to enjoy a beverage together. Because we like talking about this particular sport together or engaging in this sport. I love you and you love me because we're white Caucasians of Dutch ancestry. Or I love you and you love me because we enjoy this or that. Or because you've done good to me. No, none of those things. And now, perhaps you can see how, how little we actually walk the way of love. Or we imagine we're walking the way of love when in fact it's just simply earthly physical love that everyone has. That's what the Apostle's talking about by the way of love. It's the same love of God for me whereby because God has suffered long with me and is patient with me, I will suffer long with you and be patient to you. It's the love of God for me whereby He showed me kindness. And He was good to me so I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be good to you. It's the love of God for me whereby He has bared with all kinds of things that I've done. And where God has looked at me and not attributed to me all the worst things and the worst motives, although He could. And so I'm not going to do that to you either. You see the difference? Now that's what the Apostle is talking about. But the particular passage that we look at, these first three verses, teaches the value of that. The Holy Spirit, beloved, through the Apostle Paul, insists that that is one of the most precious and valuable things that we can have. I'll go further and say it's the most precious thing. That's what the Apostle is teaching. The Apostle is teaching not only is this valuable, but this is most valuable. Why? 
Because in spite of its misuse, in spite of its abuse, in spite of all the claims of love that's found even in the church, the fact is the church rejects and even minimizes this kind of love. That was the case in Corinth. Why, why was it there were all these divisions? Why was it that there was all this fighting? Why was it that there was all this going on? And the answer is because love wasn't considered all that important. It was far more important to possess and engage in certain spiritual gifts, to speak in tongues, or to have doctrinal knowledge. Far more important to them was doing certain great deeds, giving your body to be burned. But that's not true. That's not true at all. The danger is that we minimize this. That we fall away from this. That we ourselves minimize love even in uh, we, we exalt many, many other things at the expense of love. We can do the same thing. Say to ourselves, much, much more important is what we know. That's the most important thing. What's, what's, what's most important is, is certain spiritual gifts. Preaching. Prophecy. Understanding. Knowledge. We could even... Excuse that. We can even, as I said in the introduction, look at such a passage in Scripture and say that's all overblown. Don't you realize, Reverend, how that's misused? How today in the church all kinds of abominations are allowed to go on and even promoted under the name of love. Don't you know that even the world talks that way? Don't you know, Reverend, that this is why people are living in open sin in the church. Why there is no repentance. That's easy to do under the guise of love. Simply overlook sin. Say, we don't need to deal with this. That's unloving when you put someone under discipline. It's unloving when you excommunicate out of the church. It's unloving when you live the antithesis. That's the charge. You see the problem? Well, the main reason actually to bring this our attention is we don't realize that the love that the Apostle talks about here, that the Spirit brings to our attention, is from God. A virtue highly esteemed by God. And, and thus, it's very precious. It's rare. You can't find it anywhere else. And why is that? Because it's actually painful, it's actually costly, it's actually difficult. It defies nature. It defies our own depravity. And that's ultimately why it's either minimized or it's changed. Changed into something it's not. Why is that? Well, because when we exalt spiritual gifts or knowledge, what we read and what we know, what we can say and what we can do, you see, those bring honor and glory to us. They... They exalt us. They lift us up. They make us feel good. They're man's way. But God's way is not. You understand if you really apply what the Apostle says here, you will see that this is impossible for the natural man to do this. Impossible. Its great value is indicated when in the beginning the Apostle calls it a more excellent way. And I want to insist what the Apostle means is that it's the only way. In other words, the most excellent way. That this is the case, that the Apostle here is talking about the value of love, is brought out when you consider that he was talking about gifts and no longer is talking about gifts. Love is better because it's a way and not a gift. It's not simply another spiritual gift. It's not simply another spiritual gift alongside all the other spiritual gifts that the Spirit brings. Do you understand that? There's something unique about love. It's a way. It's a manner or mode in which one lives his life. It is what life consists of. It's not simply a gift to be exercised. Did you notice that? Covet the spiritual gifts. Covet these things that the Spirit brings, but there's something far more wonderful and great and precious. That's the way of love. 
It alone is the way. That is, it's the way of life for the church. The way of life for the members of the church. It's the way that pleases God. It's the way to use and possess all other spiritual gifts. That's what the Apostle brings out here. You can have spiritual gifts. And you can exercise and you can use them. But they're worthless. Unless they're exercised in the way of love. That's why it's more valuable. That's why it's better. It's the way in which doctrinal knowledge becomes edifying and good. You see the difference? Let me give you an example. There's a man in the church, and this man is very knowledgeable. So knowledgeable, perhaps, he has served several terms as an elder. And this man knows his doctrine. It's not just that he knows a lot of scientific fact, but he knows his doctrine. He knows and can tell you all about election, can tell you the difference between supra and infralapsarianism. This man knows about justification, justification by faith. He knows all about the fact that we are saved by sovereign particular grace and not works. He knows the truth that God has appointed him to be head over his wife and his wife must submit to him. He knows that divorce and remarriage after divorce is sinful. But the man's life is void of love. If you could look into his home, you will find him, this man so knowledgeable and understanding, belittling his wife and treating her worse than the dog. You will find this man disciplining his children harshly. This man regards his fellow members in the church as ignorant. Ignorant. Perhaps fools. Perhaps he belittles them too. Or even considers them unbelieving. Unbelieving. That man, says this passage, is worthless. That man is a big, fat zero. He's just nothing but noise. Understand that? And that holds true for every member of the church. Could be a preacher. A preacher who has all kinds of skills of oratory. So that when the congregation listens, they're at the edge of their seat. They ooh and they ah. Great sermon. Held our attention. But that sermon comes with no love. It's not made in love. It's not given in love. That preacher is worthless. A big zero. Tinkling brass. That's all he is. That's what the Apostle's talking about. That's why the way of love is the most excellent way. Why it has more value than everything else. And you could conversely give this example too. You might have a member in the church that no one ever notices. And never out front. They never are speaking out loud. They're quiet. They go about their business and, and live their life. You, you hardly know whether they have any spiritual gifts. And maybe they're lacking spiritual gifts. Maybe they don't understand very much. They find a lot in the preaching goes right over their head. When they read the Bible, they, they may find themselves confused at times. But they love. They love everyone in the church they come across. And they treat them this way. That has value. Extreme value. Far more valuable than that man in the church who thinks so highly of his knowledge and his understanding and how smart he is on doctrine and church polity. The exceeding high value of love is also demonstrated importantly in our passage when the apostle compares it with a number of spiritual gifts and activities. That's what he's bringing out. You see, all three things that the Apostle mentions are all things that we might easily suppose that if we do them or we have them, why we are superior, we are outstanding, we are a true church, we are true members of the church. God is pleased with us. And the first of them, you understand, is one that even today is considered very highly even though the gift doesn't exist anymore, and that's the speaking of tongues. It's a special gift that the Apostle said, even in our passage, is going to go away. It's going to disappear. It disappeared after the time of the Apostles. But there were those in the church that could speak other languages. 
so that others who knew that language could understand them and they could impart Scripture, impart knowledge to them using that language. The Apostle even goes further and, and he imagines that in the church there were those who could speak the language of angels, whatever it is. But the Apostle says, if they're not using that gift in the way of love, that is, if they're not using it for the benefit of the congregation, then they're nothing but a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. They're just a bunch of loud noise. Irritating. Something that makes you want to plug your ears. That's all they are. That's how they need to be evaluated. He then talks about the possession of knowledge. This is something that we ought to perk up because we, we do highly value knowledge. And it was highly valued in Corinth. And again, he's not talking about secular knowledge. He's not talking about earthly mysteries. But he's talking about the knowledge of spiritual things. He's talking about a grasp. A firm grasp. An understanding of the Word of God. The mysteries of salvation about Trinity and predestination. About justification. And all the great truths of the Word of God. About an individual who knows the creeds inside and out. And not only that, but they're able to prophesy. Prophecy is the ability to take what one knows about these things and communicate it to others so that they can understand it. That too is a gift. Not everyone can do that. In that connection, he also brings up faith. Faith. That is, he's talking here about historical faith. Not real faith. He's talking about the kind of faith that says, I, I know these things to be true. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. I, I believe that. I know that to be true. But that individual doesn't have love. They lack love. The Apostle says, they're nothing. They profit nothing. They are nothing. Imagine that. We would look at such a one and say, wow, look at their faith. Look at their knowledge. Look at their understanding. Look at their ability to articulate the Word of God. That is something. They are something. And the Holy Spirit says, no, they're not. They're nothing. Zero. That's what nothing means. Nothing. And then he goes on to talk about activities that, well, they're the kind of activities that we would look at and we would ooh and, and, and ah and we would admire and we would want. The first is someone that gives to the poor. How do we admire someone who does that? Someone who gives of their time and gives of their material goods and, and, and perhaps even gives everything that they have to the poor. There's people that have done that. Now that of itself is not love. And the Apostle imagines someone doing that without love. Or he talks about someone who's devoted to God. They're so devoted to God and their religion and their faith that they will give their body to be burned. But they, they don't love. They don't love their neighbor. And then he goes to a third one and he imagines someone that has such faith that they could move mountains. Such is their faith that they could actually command a mountain to quake. And that mountain would move and shake. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine seeing someone do that? Imagine if someone stood up right now and did that. We would all have our jaw drop and hit the floor, wouldn't we? And the Apostle says about all that, it would have no value whatsoever. It profits me nothing. It's of no use to me. It's no use to the individual that did it. It's absolutely worthless. Now do you see how different is the Word of God than our own thinking? How much we need to hear this Word of God and how far in our own thinking we are from it? We would look at somebody like that and we would say, make that person a deacon. We would look at that other person over there we'd say, make him a preacher. And this person over here that could move mountains, we'd say, we'll follow them anywhere they go. You say what we got to do, we'll do it. The Apostle teaches here that the use of gifts and the carrying out of spiritual gifts are all worthless and without profit for the church or the person themselves without love. They're meaningless. They have no value. And now imagine what he's talking about. 
speaking of tongues, did have value. God gave that gift for the benefit of the church. God used that gift to extend the gospel. God has worked miracles in the church for many purposes and reasons. How can the apostle say that? Because it's true. And, and now notice, notice here the emphasis upon the individual person. Notice that the apostle here uses the first person. Notice that. You would think the apostle, after going through everything that was wrong in the church of Corinth, would say, you people, you people, what if you did this and you did this? But he, he says, I. What if I did that? What if I could do this? And I could do that. And yet, I lacked love. He includes himself. And that's how he sees himself. I want to bring that up. Because it's not unusual for someone to do that. And use that as an excuse to leave the church too. I don't know about you, but I've heard it plenty of times. Someone packs up and leaves, and their excuse is always, you people don't have love. You people don't exercise enough love. But oftentimes the real problem is they, they lack love themselves. They haven't lived in love in the church themselves. They have no real love for the members of the church. How many a schism and a division, how many a leaving of the church uses that excuse, you people don't love. When usually the problem is that even the apostle himself recognizes is no. The real problem is I'm not loving my neighbor in the church as I ought. My last point is that such love is to be desired and that should follow of course if it has that kind of value. If this is the opinion of the Holy Spirit, if this is the opinion of the Apostle Paul, then ought it not be our opinion that we say to ourselves, this now is what I desire. This is what I desire even more than knowing all kinds of things and speaking in tongues and doing miracles and giving my body to be burned and, and being able to be someone who just gives everything that I have to the poor. Oh, how those things are rightly to be desired, but above it all is the way of love. That is the way to do those things and exercise those things and have those gifts with love for another. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of answers we could give. Some of them we'll give as we continue through this chapter. But the Apostle points to something that may unnerve us just a little bit when he puts the emphasis time and time again that the individual themselves is worthless. He doesn't say simply that what they do is worthless, but I am nothing. It profits me nothing. Why does he do that? Because the idea is that we are worth something in the kingdom of God, and God gives us, is us gifts to be worth something. God gives us what He gives us so that we can be of some value we can be of some worth in the kingdom of God. And we ought to desire that. It is not a bad thing when someone desires the gift of prophecy or to be a prophet. There has to be some of that. There has to be someone who desires to actually be the one in the church who's giving away lots of money to help the needy. Or someone who's giving of their time and energy for all kinds of causes. It's what God wants. God gives us these things for that purpose. Well, this is the way, the only way, that those things can be valuable. That's the only way that we can be of worth. The Apostle is saying, desire this because without it, you're worthless. You have no value. You have no place. All of your work in the home, all of the work in your marriage, all that you think you are in the church has no value whatsoever. That's what we have to understand and therefore desire that God grant us love. Or we so know the love of God that we live in this way of love one for another. We want the church to be something. Oh, what is it to be a church that's something? Is it just that we have the truth? That we have the greatest, bestest, most wonderful and accurate understanding of the Word of God over anybody else? Nope, it's not. Because if you have that, 
but have not love, all of that understanding and knowledge of the truth is absolutely worthless. Do we understand that? That's important for us to remember because as churches, that's how we think of ourselves. God has indeed given us an incredible treasury of knowledge, doctrinal knowledge, right knowledge. But the question is, do we exercise and use it in the way of love? If the answer is no, then we are of no value as a church. We are worthless in the midst of the church world and in the world. The Apostle says, desire it. Desire it because this is what it means to be a Christian. I'll put it in other words. This is what fellowship is. If you want to know what the communion of the saints is, if you want to know what characterizes the life of the church, the answer is it's the way of love. It's the way of fellowship with God, and therefore it's the way of fellowship with one another. That's what the Scriptures teach. This is the truth of the Word of God. Oh, that's not conditional theology. I'm not saying it's the way to fellowship with God. That's what we're told we believe. It's not true. That's to not recognize the difference between the way to and the way of something. If I say to you, what's the way to Chicago? The answer to that question is a whole different one than what's the way of Chicago. When I talk about the way of Chicago, I'm talking, what's, what about the manner of life? What's their culture? How do they live their life? That's an entirely different thing. That's what the Apostle's talking about here. The way of love is how we live our life. The manner of it. The mode of it. And that manner of mode is fellowship with one another. It's the only way. If that way isn't there, there is no fellowship. There is no communion. There's only division. There is only schism. Do you see the value? Then desire it. And seek it. Pray for it. And live that way. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, Thy Word is true. Thy Word is right. Thy Word convicts us of our sin and iniquity. Forgive, O Lord, our hatred of one another. As we go through this passage, may we see how little we actually love one another and how much that we call love is not love at all, but self-seeking and self-love. Help us, O Lord, to see its value and desire it to live that way in our own life and to do so for Jesus' sake, who so loved us. Amen.